actually learning to understand what are the things you're naturally good at, what are the things you love doing that just comes natural to you, and then do more of those things because that is how you win in life. In today's episode, I sat down with Matt Singer, serial entrepreneur, business coach, and public speaker. He's also the host of one of the biggest SEO conferences, the SEO Mastery Summit that hosts over 400 people in the digital marketing space to share ideas and network. Matt and I talked about the DISC framework and how he identifies different personality types in a blink of an eye. With this method, he helped clients go from five to eight figures using only people management. If you look at the world out there, if you look at it from a business perspective, no one have ever been hired because they don't suck at anything. Like people are hired because they're great at something. I hope you enjoyed this episode and find it really helpful for your future leads or your next hire or even to understand yourself better. So let's get into the video. So hi, Matt. How are you? I am fantastic. Um, where are you at right now? I am in Denmark. I'm sitting at a fun beach house with my uncle here on a small, tiny island in Denmark, enjoying some summer and getting ready for a few more conferences in a couple of months. So. Fantastic. So the reason why I ask is because you're always somewhere else and you have this lifestyle where you move around literally every month or twice a week. And I know that firsthand experience. But it's incredibly motivating for people who want to travel uh, and you can afford to kind of live this type of lifestyle. And I know that one of the key things is delegation and good management, which is why you are famous in the industry. And today we're kind of going to dive into more specifically DISC. Would you mind kind of giving us an overview of very, very shortly, like what is DISC like? What is it? Is it a test? Is it a, some theory? Yes. Magic wand? I don't know. It's definitely a magic wand. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, so so DISC fundamentally is a behavioral framework that was developed back in the... Uh, there was written a book in the 20th or 30s around it. And then there was a the guy who took it in the 40s and really developed the whole framework around it. So it's fundamentally about natural human behavior. In other words, well. What do you do when you don't think about what you're doing, right? So that's that that's a great way to to sort of put it into a box, if you will. So the fundamental about it is that it's really how do people think and how do they behave and how do they, in principle, utilize their brain when when they're on autopilot, right? So as all people, you know, we can force ourselves. We can say, okay, I'm gonna do this thing. It's super awkward. It's horrible for me, but I'm gonna do it anyway. So when you're very conscious about something, you can you can push yourself to do things. But the question, and and particularly from a work perspective, where you get the most value is understanding what are the things people are just naturally good at. Because if you can identify what people are naturally good at, it makes it very easy to put them into jobs and into roles where they're consistently doing things they're naturally good at, instead of having to put significant effort in on a daily basis to try and do the thing, right? So. Okay. So let me stop you a little bit because for us, I mean, I've been into this this training a lot, so I, I understand, but a lot of people don't understand how they behave on an autopilot. And just give me a little bit of specific examples of what you look at when you're trying to define their their main uh, profile. I mean, it, the, the principle behind DISC is, is this four sort of core personality types, which is D, I, S, and C. And those four personality types are all, they all have different sort of um, 
behavior, natural behaviors, right? And everyone is basically basically have a primary and a secondary personality piece. So when you see another human being, you'll basically see either the primary or the secondary personality type come out. And fundamentally, to identify people and to understand people, all you need to learn to do is, is read body language a little bit. So it's uh, listening to, for example, the sound of people's voices. It is uh, how fast they speak. It is even how they speak. So the types of words, for example, and it's how they move their body. So, you know, how much do they smile? Even to some extent, how do they smile? And so, so it's relatively simple sort of body language pieces that by looking at those very, very quickly, and I'm talking, you know, when you get good at this stuff, it's a matter of seconds for you to you meet a new person you've never met before to you actually understand them, right? And this can be both physical. It's obviously easier if you meet people on a face-to-face -face basis, but this can definitely also be the case if you're meeting someone on a Zoom call or Sometimes even when you when you learn to understand how different people write emails differently, uh, just sometimes one or two emails will tell you enough to understand exactly how they think and, and their behavior, right? Okay, and before diving into each personality types, uh, could you tell me a couple of case studies where your clients succeeded with DISC? Most of the time, honestly, it's either about recruitment or it's specifically around moving great people into roles that are better for them, right? So a client of mine had a guy who had ended up being a CEO and he was pretty horrible at the job. Uh, again, like most people, he hadn't had any training and therefore he wasn't particularly good at managing people, but also he wasn't really interested in it. Like he, he was interested in the title because it sounded cool, but it wasn't generally a job he was particularly eager. Very quickly, the the board sort of identified and said, hey, you know, this guy is great. He had been in the company for many, many years. We, we will definitely replace him, but what's a good role for him? Uh, and when I work with them, uh, it was very easy to see that the guy was very technical. He was, a, I, I would say, a typical sort of tech founder of a business more than anything. And he fundamentally ended up moving to a role as a CTO in the company with when the new CEO came in. And fundamentally, that just changed the company because they suddenly had a CEO that was much more proactive, made things happen, and really drove the company forward. And this guy could really do what was his strength, which was figuring out the tech stuff, being the nerdy guy. And he you know, he didn't need to talk to a ton of people all the time, but his focus was really working with, with the small team he had and really making sure all the tech stuff was running smoothly. So that was a, that was a great example. Also from a hiring perspective, one of the things I, I have a lot is people coming to me and they either say, hey, you know, I totally want to get out of the business. Or I want to help to hire someone to, to do my job so that I can do other things around the business, right? And, and uh, quite a few examples of that where, you know, I work with clients that have we've found the right kind of person. Sometimes it's maybe putting them into a slightly lower role initially. So, for example, a COO role and then, you know, making sure they're up to scratch, making sure they understand the business and then eventually when they're ready, move them into the CEO role. Yeah, lots of clients where we've done that with and, and gone through that process. But again, the key thing is you want to put the right people in the right places, right? Yes, and one of my favorite quotes from you is uh, hiring the wrong people is like the the biggest 
how did it lost for a company, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. And it's like incredibly expensive to to put someone into a CEO position and and turns out that they are not the right person for CEO. And I see like a pattern here because a lot of companies would think that the time spent in company would lead them to become like a higher role or like a bigger role, which in your case is no, let's look how this person what are their strengths and weaknesses and then kind of put them into that position, right? So I want to ask you like to briefly summarize each letter because first of all, they're super interesting. Second is, you know, a lot of people are not aware that people can be classified so easily, you know, help them find out find out their strengths. Yeah, so if we just go around, so fundamentally, it's just a, a simple square. So you have the D, the I, the S, and the C. D stands for dominant. So it's basically people who are sort of in, in the male world, you would call them alpha males to some extent. So it's people who are very assertive. They're very sort of direct. They always speak their mind and they're constantly trying to make things happen, right? They're, they're constantly taking action. And those are the type of people who always want more. So if you look at famous examples, someone like Elon Musk or Steve Jobs, right? Like they're people that are, they're willing to really push through. They're willing to do whatever it takes to succeed. They do ask a ton from the people around them, but it's not like they just sit back and do nothing, right? Like they're right there with them. So in a, in a soldier analogy, they are at the front with their soldier, right? So they're, they're, they're willing to work extremely hard and they're very driven by money. Not necessarily money, like like someone like Elon Musk, he's not like, oh, you know, I can't buy the house I want, I want more money. That's not the point. But two very dominant people, money represent a measure of success. So the thing is, they're constantly looking at, am I a success in life? And, and they're, people like Elon, you know, they always underestimate themselves. They're like, yeah, but you know, I could have done more, I could have done more, I, I could do better. So So fundamentally, they're always looking for more and money is a huge motivator but more so because it, it kind of helps them see what is their level of success they've achieved. Next up, you have the influential people, which is the sort of, let's call them the typical sales guy, right? So it's, it's people who are very, very talkative. They love people everywhere. They talk to everyone anywhere. When they walk down the, the main street, they'll randomly start talking to people here, there, and everywhere. And they're really, really social creatures. They're the energy they get from being around people is is very big. And those were the kind of people that struggled big time during COVID, for example, because they crave human contact. They crave talking with other people and so on. Fundamentally, they are often really good either as a primary or secondary for people in the likes of sales roles, uh, event roles, uh, anything to do with people that they're, they're generally very good at. Right. Then you have the S's, which is steady people, and they're fundamentally sort of the uncle of the team or the, the nice grandma or whatever. Very, very nice people who are also very people-oriented, but they're, they're not out there. They won't just talk to random people on the street. They're a little bit more shy. So while they love conversations, they love talking to people, they prefer people talk to them first. Right. So at a networking event, for example, they'll stand around, they'll be smiling and they'll hoping, you know, make eye contact and hope people come and talk to them. They, they're generally not super comfortable making the first move. Uh, but generally in organizations, you see them a lot. They're, they're very, very good team players. And, you know, they're the kind of people that always show up. They're always doing a, a decent job. They're not 
they, they're rarely the best performers, but they always show up. They always do their work and, and they're generally extremely loyal, right? So they, they tend to stay around for a long time. Now, the essence about these people is they care so much more about the people around them compared to how much they care about themselves. So if you ever see them unhappy, it's typically because one of their friends or one of their colleagues or one of their family is struggling and that makes them unhappy. It's often less about themselves. And the biggest challenge for them is often that they, because they're so busy with everyone else, they always deprioritize themselves. And, and that, that's often both when it comes to eating healthy food, uh, you know, exercising and so on. They often, they're often so busy helping everyone else that they can forget about themselves a little bit. Right. And then lastly, you have the C's, which are conscientious people. And they are fundamentally the, the nerds or the geeks of the world. Um, so that's typically, again, roles like developers, accountants, people who literally love sitting. And I mean, their hottest dream is includes Excel. Uh, that's typically the type of people. So they're very, very detail-oriented. They're very perfectionist. They're very, you know, I would rather deliver my project way later as long as it's perfect. And they absolutely hate making mistakes. And they absolutely hate admitting they make mistakes, right? They are, they're, they're generally like the steady people that they're reserved. So again, if you've ever tried to have a phone call with a developer, every second sentence from them is like, can you send it in an email? Can you send it in an email just to email me? Because they are so much more comfortable with a written communication compared to verbal communication. And that's their preference, right? So that is sort of generally the... Uh, brief overview of the four. And again, everyone is basically, uh, everyone have a primary and a secondary that are always adjacent. So you can be DI or ID, you can be IS or SI, you can be SC or CS, and you can be CD or DC. So those are, those are basically combination. And fundamentally, if you look at it, if you split it down the middle, that's basically your left brain and the, the right brain. So D and C is very left brain and I's and S is a very right brain. And you can see people, like a lot of people have a fair balance between some of them, but if people are DC or CD, that means they're predominantly utilizing their left brain and they're very logical. If they're on the other side, if they're IS or SI's, they're extremely emotional. And they're extremely people-focused, which means they're also very creative human beings. So typically, you know, very, very keen on music and arts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, now that you mentioned it, um, now that you bring logic and creativity into the conversation, uh, just a quick question. Like, if you were to choose a uh, your next CMO, because it's an aspiring CMO podcast, right? Then what would be like a quote-quote perfect combination of these four? Or does it matter even? So most people can learn a lot of things, but what you have to think of and the way you want to think of it is what is it I need in the role of a CMO? So if you're looking at the four different personality types, right? So the, the dominant people, for example, is people who are very good at getting shit done. They're very good at hidden deadlines. They're probably not the most creative. They're probably not the most uh, detail-oriented at all but they're very good at getting shit done. So if they have to have a deadline, have something they have to get done, they'll really, really push to make sure it happens, right? So if that's a trait that you're looking for, the Ds might be great. Their eyes are probably the most creative people, right? They have so many ideas every day, all the day, nonstop. Uh, and they're very good at sort of coming up with ideas and getting, getting a lot of ideas out of their team. 
right? If that's what you feel you need in a CMO, if you're looking for the ideas person, then uh, an influential person is probably a good fit, right? Again, if you're looking at someone who is a little bit more laid back, a little bit less sort of aggressive and getting stuff done, um, the, as I said, they're also very creative, um, but they're often much more team players. So if you're looking at a, a team of people that you know you really want to help them gel together, you really want to get them into a position where they're doing a, a good job and, and so on and much more team focused, then a, a steady person could be the, the focus. If you're looking for someone who's very detail-oriented, if you're looking more for a, let's say, someone who checks all the boxes and cross the I's and dot the T's and so on, right? The other way around. You know, typically, a conscientious people might be good. So there's not really a right or wrong selection, but it's about thinking about what do I need for this role at this point in time, right? Okay. Uh, I think that was a very diplomatic answer, too, and kind of highlights... Um, that every single personality type has an advantage. And uh, yeah, because a lot of people, especially like social media, pop culture, they really push the high D profile where you have to get up early, do your thing, cross the deadlines, always just push, push, push yourself. But we know that, for example, less assertive people like the C's and S's are like naturally not into that thing. <laughs> so yeah, and since it's an aspiring CMO podcast, I would like to see your opinion on, for instance, if you are a marketing agency owner and you're looking for new clients, how does this really help in this thing? Yeah, so from a client perspective, again, it's about understanding the client, right? So again, different people buy different, different people have different expectations. So if you're if you're working with someone who is very dominant, if you have a client that's very dominant, First of all, they are most likely to be the, the let's call them asshole customers that you might have. So they, they are very demanding. So if you sign a contract with them, they expect to get delivered and so on. They will often ask for more stuff. They will often be very demanding of you. They have no problem asking for more. Again, from your perspective as, a, as an agency, being straightforward with them and being honest with them and say, hey, you know, this was the agreement we had. If you want this thing, we can definitely do it, but it will be X amount extra. Or the other way of saying, hey, you know, unfortunately, this is not something we do, right? But but generally, they are very, very keen on getting what they pay for, which is great. Uh, but they're also very comfortable asking for more. So they can be a little bit of a handful, particularly if you're not a very assertive person that's comfortable with conflict and so on yourself. Uh, if you're if you're working with a with a sort of influential client, uh, the the couple of key things is normally they are much 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 bigger fans of talking verbally, right? So if you send them a whole bunch of emails, they will often not read them, or often not understand them. So they really appreciate if you call them up and have a conversation with them. If you want to hold on to influential clients, the best thing you can do is build a good relationship. Either, you know, if they're physically near you, like go out and have lunch with them once every couple of months or whatever, something like that. Or again, just spend time focused on talking to them and keeping them up to date and so on in other ways than email because they are not good at email in general. If you have a steady person, again, you want to pay some attention to them. You definitely want to talk to them. But fundamentally, what you want to see is what is it this person is trying to achieve? 
Because again, most of the time, those people don't care so much about themselves. They care about delivering to the people they're around. So if they're working as a marketing person in a company, ask them, what's your goals? What is it you're trying to achieve? And try and make sure that you help them deliver that. If you help them deliver, they're not necessarily as demanding. They are just, they're looking to help someone else achieve what they're trying to achieve, right? And lastly, if you're working with a conscientious person or you're trying to sell to a conscientious person, it's all about details. Like they want to know how often, when can I expect it? And they want detailed reports and they want information and they, they, they can never have enough data, right? And they are the kind of people who would often message you and say, hey, you know, I see you're doing this. How are you doing it? What's the right way? Like they, they will ask a lot of what questions and they were really trying to, uh, that, that basically the people that are likely to micromanage. Right. So they're not necessarily demanding in the way that the dominant people are, but they're the ones that are watching every step. Right. They're like, hey, you know, I saw you had a spelling mistake in a social media post and stuff like that. Right. Again, the communication with them is is very email based. So send them as much information you can. The more, the better. And again, have clear have a clear process to, to find up front. So if you tell him, hey, we're going to have a call once a month. And we'll send you an email once a month with details and you then don't do it, they'll be at your back, right? So you you want to tell them exactly, give them clear expectations up front, and they will generally stick to whatever your expectations are, right? Cool. Thank you. Because, okay, now that you've mentioned these like over and over again, with like the communication style, the emailing, and yesterday I had a call with Steve Todd and, you know, like, I mean, I know Steve from you and you know Steve, but just want to highlight to the audience that, you know, Steve built up an email list of like 15, 16,000 subscribers and all by SEO and SEOs are very high C's, like extremely conscientious people, right? Am I right? Yeah. yeah. They, they are. And like how Steve, I know he didn't do it consciously, but the way that he communicated to these people, obviously like magnified and that kind of attracted more people who are like him and like them through the communication stuff, which is like emailing and every every week at the same time he even mentioned that there was one week he messed up the time zone and then the, he already got emails from his subscriber hey where's your newsletter <laughs> which is like a very high c trait is it yeah <laughs> yeah uh okay so let's go to the other side of the coin where but you don't have to go into too much detail if you don't want to but like how do you find this this when you hire people and you scale your companies or your clients companies fundamentally the same as i said when we when we're talking about the, the cmos or those kind of roles right like the essence is understanding always what am i looking for in this role and but a lot of people don't know like a lot of people don't know but like if you could describe the ideal person and they would obviously be perfect at everything and do everything on deadline and so on, right? A lot of creative people will understand that. So many people are not both good at programming and design, right? It's kind of two different things that you can find some people that are very good designers and decent programmers or very good programmers and half decent designers, but you very rarely find people who are amazing at both. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just because, again, it's two very, very different skill sets. Right. So, for example, when you're when you're looking at your team and you're saying, well, you know, what is it we need to add to the team? Do we need someone who's amazing at writing sales copy? Do we need someone who's amazing at graphic design? Like what is like the core skill 
that if you had this skill, it would really help you out, right? So when, when people are hiring, like often they'll be like, okay, let's find someone to do social media. Let's find someone to do email marketing. But, but fundamentally, I look behind the scenes and saying, well, you know, so marketing teams are often somewhat smaller, right? So if you have two or three or four people, it's about looking at what is the strength of the people I have already? And where is it that I don't have strength? So where is it right now that we are lagging behind, right? So you might have a team where you have a good writer already and you have someone who's good at executing and con consistency, but you're struggling in the, the, the sort of creative side or the, the graphic design and stuff like that, right? And even if you're maybe hiring for a role that might not necessarily be all about graphic design, having that skill set in your business might be a huge benefit and you know the, the people can kind of complement each other because if you have someone who's very great at writing copy, like they can write copy for emails, they can write copy for social media, they can write copy for many things. Whereas if they're sitting trying to do the graphic design, it'll probably, if they're not good at it, at least it'll probably take them a really long time and be a relative mediocre result. So it's more, and, and this is, I think where a lot of companies go wrong is they, they kind of say, oh, I want a marketing person who can do all of these things. And the thing is, most people are not great at everything, right? So it's really saying, what is the most critical aspect? What's the most critical strength that I really need in this role, right? So for example- How do you help you're... people like that? Like um, many times, even business owners don't know what they need. And often they default to hire someone like them. Yes, uh, which is correct. But, but I think fundamentally, again, looking at your team, I mean, most people who, if you have a couple of marketing people, or even if you don't have any, if you sit down and say, what's the most critical skill? So for example, if you want to write an email newsletter and you've never written before, you know, a lot of people say, okay, well, the tech skill and understanding how to do email is most important, but you might turn around and say, well, the actual skill is probably writing, right? Like if you're a very, very good copywriter and you have to write emails, like the tech stuff can be learned relatively easy but the email writing is the difficult piece, right? So if you're hiring for someone like that, you definitely want someone who, who is a great copywriter uh, as example. And, and if that's the case, then I would focus on finding people with that skill set, right? Okay, okay, awesome. Um, during your hiring process, do you tell people to take a test or how do you identify them? So you can do a few different things, right? So one, one of the big things, and, and this is, relative to pretty much all types of personality testers that, uh, that they're only as accurate as the answers being given to them, right? So reality is that a lot of the time, uh, particularly in hiring situations, people tell you what they think you want to hear, even if you tell them it's not relevant. And at the same time, some people know themselves extremely well. And some people don't know themselves very well at all. Again, the, the main thing is that you want to verify uh, in person when you're actually interviewing someone afterwards, right? So as example, we, we have a tool called Disk for Teams where we have both options. So you can both send people a test, but we also have a behavior test that you can do on them. So you can basically answer questions to say, hey, you know, how did they behave like? What was their volume of voice, et cetera? And when you get used to observing those behavior, you, you will learn over time how to do it automatically. But in the beginning, we have a tool that's super, super good at helping you do this. And, and again, if you have a lot of candidates in your pipeline, you can send them the test and get them to do the test up front if that's something that's important to you for the particular role.
We're just gonna take a quick break here. If you're interested in finding out your disc profile using only a couple of questions and really nailing down your strengths and weaknesses, I recommend you guys to go down to the show notes and click on Disc for Teams. Disc for Teams is a brand new SaaS tool made by Matt Singers and his partner, which help companies identify their hires and manage their employees better so if you're interested do click on the show notes and let's get back to the video and i'm very looking forward to how the clients finding it too i mean i personally love it because ever since i've been using disc um i realized that i'm a really diid kind of person and that helped me to realize what my strengths and weaknesses are which kind of helped me to start a podcast too because podcast is kind of like get things done but also you have human interaction which our DIs are good at. And throughout my life, I also wanted to be more C because my parents wanted to be more like conscientious and, and quiet and very detail-oriented and, and very smart in math. And obviously all of those things I failed. <laughs> but I no longer worry about it because it's not my thing to worry about. Yeah. So I really encourage everyone to learn DISC, at least the basics from Mads, from his training, or we kind of read about it because you, you get to understand your your core strengths as a, as a human being. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the big things, right? Like as human beings, we're naturally primed to try and fix the things we're bad at. And yeah. the challenge is that if you're trying to learn to do things that you're naturally not good at, that like like some people, when they look at a spreadsheet full of numbers, they literally get dizzy. Now, Same. yes, if you That's spend me. hours and hours and hours looking at spreadsheets, like you can get a little bit better, but it takes so much effort for tiny improvements, right? Whereas if you're doing things that you're actually naturally good at, you see so much better result in a much shorter span of time. And this is this is the world, right? Like if you look at the world out there, if you look at it from a business perspective, no one have ever been hired because they don't suck at anything. Like people are hired because they're great at something. And we all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. And, and it's all opposites, right? Like the thing is, if, if you're very good at pushing other people by being very direct and sort of very straight to the point, that have the opposite weakness that, you know, some people will think you're rude because you say what you think and you don't, wrap it up in, in bubble wrap, right? So so every strength is a weakness at the same time. And the same thing when you're looking at numbers versus creativity and all this sort of stuff. Every time you have a strength, there's an, an equivalent weakness and you, you can't be good at everything. But fundamental success in life is really learning to understand what are the things you're naturally good at? What are the things you love doing that just comes natural to you? And then do more of those things because that is how you win in life, right? I love this. Each of our conversation becomes like a live coaching session. And I think I'm not the only one. Hey, if you listen to this part, I would like to thank you for listening to this episode. And please give us a review because all of the reviews mean so much for this starting podcast. If you like and enjoy the show or if you have any improvements, please let me know on Facebook or you can email me through my website. Now that somebody has figured out their strengths and weaknesses, then, okay, let's say I know I'm a CS. Okay, I'm not. But say you, I'm, a, I'm a CS, then I would might go out and focus on numbers for the rest of my life. But then I know that you as a CS yourself, real life scenario, you are still a host of one of the biggest um, 
SEO conferences out there, um, the SEO Mastery Summit, and you still push yourself to do something like that. My question is why and how is that good for someone like an a, a introverted person, a DC or a CD or CS, yeah. Yeah, so, so fundamentally, again, it's about learning where you add value. So one of the things that I always recommend very detail-oriented people to do is learn how to communicate well. Because when you have people, and, and you'll see a lot of, like if you look at people who generally win Nobel Prizes and so on, they are, they're generally very, very smart people. But the challenge is if you don't learn to communicate what's in your head, to the people around you if you're just sitting being very smart in your head and it's not helping the world and it's not helping people around you then being smart uh, haven't got a lot of value that, that's a good old saying that you know if you if you know something and don't use it you might as well not know it right? okay so yeah. one one of the key things for, for me working with very smart people so people who are very conscientious and have very high iq is to, it's really about teaching them how to communicate better again they don't have to be the world's best communicator and i'm definitely not but again the reason why i'm such a good coach and the reason why you know pretty much all of our clients have success is because i've learned to communicate with very very different people so i've learned to take the things i know and the the, the knowledge that i have and and give it to people in a way that that no matter what kind of personality they are they can t take it and they can they can utilize it to take action and make things happen right and so that's that's the big piece for me so so fundamentally i am still very introverted i'm i'm uh, not the most social person on the planet but i push myself a lot to do it because i've made a very wow. conscientious choice to be in the world of business and when you're in the world of business it is all about relationships it's all about people and and again like there's a lot of things i'm not good at and I try and hire people to to help me with those. So in the majority of my businesses, uh, as you said, I'm I'm very conscientious and steady as a as a natural personality. In my businesses, I often hire very dominant people to run the operations. So operations managers, CEOs, etc., is often people who are very very dominant and are much better than I am at making stuff happen. Because reality is, um, I, I am probably the world's biggest procrastinator. Or that's how I feel, at least. There's people who are so much better at making things happen than I am. And and I, I'm putting some of those people around me. And I, I'm not interested in people who just say, yes, Matt, you're so smart. Life is great. You know, that's not what helps me. What helps me is having people around me that help execute. So again, so many people sit around with lots of great ideas and nothing ever happened, right? Uh, I... I probably have a lot of good ideas just like most other entrepreneurs but i'm very very keen on making things happen and fundamentally for me the way i do it is through other people and again through other people mean managing people and managing people is all about communication right so when you're managing when you're trying to get the most out of other people it's all about learning to communicate with them in a way that makes sense to them thank you this is a Kind of like an overarching holistic way of looking at management and kind of knowing yourself uh, which is why i think the management course that you provide is so unique uh, okay i took the management course because i did it and i also took like management in university and they, the, the the two things are completely different like 
the things that you teach is so down to earth, it's so actionable. Whereas the stuff I remember in college, uh, I had to look up very old case studies from like the early 1900s, <laughs> how people were running companies. Uh, the only thing I uh, remember is like how people created the uh, factories. So everybody does only one thing and that th that's it. But obviously the world has evolved so much more. So I really want to encourage every aspiring leader or currently any junior marketer to even take this course too because it, it's crazy how, how much effect you can have on, on others than on yourself yeah yeah and this is this is a big thing i, th I think a, a lot of a lot of management is learning to lead yourself right so mm -hmm. i always say that people rarely become good managers if they haven't figured themselves out Okay. Uh, because being a leader is a lot about knowing yourself, being comfortable with who you are. And, you know, if you if you're as a leader, if you have a huge ego, if you if you don't want to admit mistakes and things like that, it makes it so much harder for your staff to trust you like you respect you. And, and therefore, like getting to know yourself, really understanding yourself as a person, uh, just make you so much of a better leader, right? So that's often, I mean, it's often the starting point of, of any of my training is really understanding humans. Um, but uh, again, like back to management training that you mentioned, right? Like I've really taken what I've learned the last 20 years managing people and really boiled it down to about five, six hours worth of, of training, right? Like, because what I know is that most entrepreneurs are so busy, they don't have the time to sit around. I mean, you could talk about management for a month, right? But <laughs> the essence is really, like most things, is 80-20. What are the things that you really want to learn, really want to master to succeed as a manager? And those are the things that I encourage people to spend the time on. I always say if they learn to get those five things right, or those five, six hours worth of content right, Basically, they're better than 90% of the other managers out there because reality is one, one of the biggest issues in the corporate world and in the world of business today is that people are constantly promoted into roles of leadership and management without being taught how to do it. So you have this good old saying that the best sales guy often don't make the best sales manager. because Just because they're good at selling doesn't mean they're good at being a manager. And that's 100% spot on. However... Someone who has the determination and the willpower to become the best at anything, like that could be the best sales guy, the best engineer, the best anything, they, they're not automatically a great manager just because they're a great sales guy or whatever. But if they can learn to become the best salesperson, they can also learn to be a great manager. But like everything else, it takes training, right? And, and the, where companies are wasting the most money today is by not learning to develop the leaders that are in them, right? Because when you promote people into leadership positions and you don't give them any support, you're shooting yourself in the foot so much because your leaders need the support, right? Like most companies, when they bring someone in, new in as a salesperson, for example, they give them a ton of training about the company, about the product and all that sort of stuff and about sales. But when they promote people into leadership roles, there's nothing. It's like you go home Friday and Monday morning, you're now a manager and people don't know what the hell they're doing because they've never had the training. And that that's the that's the biggest opportunity in the business world today. The way I see it is really so many companies where having slightly better leaders just makes a mountain of difference. Yeah, yeah.
Okay, Mads, this is going to be a little bit fun, but fun for me and hopefully fun for the listeners because most of the listeners are still my friends. And uh, when we first met like four years ago, you already kind of like knew my personality just like that. And uh, now that you walk through all the theories, you know, all the four personality types and what the importance of it, how the heck did you find out my personality? What were the things you were looking for? Can you like go back in time and tell us? uh just the things i mentioned so volume of voice um the lack of smiling you have or the amount of smiling you had sorry and yeah just how you communicated like by nature you you know your arms are always flying around when you're talking to people and so on so (laughs) it was it was relatively easy um so that already gives you like i am either d or i right because like i want to backtrack here because people are not like get used to identifying people this quick so like my voice is quite loud so i'm not i'm not whispering everyone it's not a problem hearing you when you're in the room exactly thank you (laughs) and uh, i also smile a lot which that's i don't know if it's it's very natural for me yeah yeah you you, you smile a lot when you're around other people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You don't necessarily when when you're by yourself or when you're thinking or when you're so on, you don't necessarily smile much. But when you're around other people, you kind of put up the the smile as a as a hey now I'm socially engaging and and it, like it's interesting because most people would think that you're an extrovert and you love people and so on. But but reality is that you're putting on the the people mask. And it's actually really draining for you. So when you've been running around around people for two, three hours, like you get really tired, right? Because you're, you're putting in a lot of energy and effort to be around other people. Yeah, which is a big awakening. I thought I'm just like, I, did, I thought it's a natural thing once you, you're in a conference or like a, a little meetup that... And I always thought about myself as an extrovert because I'm so outgoing. I'm so I'm not scared to talk to people really, uh, which is probably like a combination of ID. Uh, and I really don't have problem talking to someone that I want to talk to. Okay, one uh, small question is that how do you determine uh, whether they are ID or IS? Like, depending on the different personality type, there's always simple questions you can ask. So if someone is predominantly I, if they're ID or IS, uh, is generally uh, two questions. Main one is, uh, is the person good at getting shit done, right? If a person is generally an IS, they, they tend to have millions of ideas and never really executing. Okay. If an ID, they tend to be pretty good at executing. You can also ask the other question, which is, uh, you know, how much does this person care about others? So are they mostly focused on themselves? It's me, me, me game. Or are they super focused on other people? So if they're, if they're IS, they tend to be a lot more focused on other people. Um, so, so that's the sort of two questions that you can sort of. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes you can't really ask people like, hey, do you care about other people, right? Like you kind of need to see it sometimes in their actions if, they, if they're just, hey, me, 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 or if, they're, if they are really caring about the people around them, right? Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. And uh, if anybody would like to reach out to you, how can they find you? The best way, uh, mattsingers.com. And otherwise, I'm on pretty much all the social media channels and my handle is generally matt singers only person in the world for that name so should be relatively easy to find 
Amazing. Yeah, I hope your projects will go well and uh, we are looking forward to the SEO Mastery Summit 2024. Thank yeah. you very much. All right, bye.